So it's January 7th. So by now, many resolutions have been made. And most resolutions have been lost. Already. But it's not too late. Let me ask you, friend. Are you reading your Bible this year? Are you reading God's Word this year? It's not too late. Don't worry about the date. You're allowed to start on January 7th, too. All right? Find a reading plan. It doesn't matter which one. And read. Because God is here. This is where we encounter Him. And you need Him. We need Him. If you're going to persevere this year, you need the Lord. If you're going to persevere in your life, you need the Lord. And that transitions us to the, the topic we're going to be considering out of Revelation 21 this morning. And that is the perseverance of the saints. The saints are called to persevere. We are called to persevere in Christ. Those who begin in Christ must continue in Christ. Those who start on the journey must stay on the path. We are called to remain in Jesus. This is taught in no uncertain terms throughout the New Testament with such boldness that it might startle us and could unsettle us. I'll give a few examples. You know, I'm going to read a, a passage from Paul in Colossians. And, and you could be tempted to think that Paul doesn't know the gospel. But Paul knows the gospel. We know the gospel because of Paul. Here's what Paul says about the gospel. Christ has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, all of that sounds good. This is what Christ does. He presents us holy and blameless and above reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Hebrews says it also. We are Christ's house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence. And then later, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If indeed, if indeed, if indeed. So here's the basic idea of the text we just went over. You're a Christian if indeed you hold fast to the gospel. You're a believer if indeed you hold fast to the faith. You are a disciple if indeed you persevere in following Jesus. This is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Here's what it says, and if you're taking notes, I'll give you time to write this down. True Christians must persevere in the faith. True Christians must persevere in the faith. True Christians must persevere in the faith and true Christians do persevere in the faith. True Christians must persevere in the faith and true Christians do persevere.
persevere in the faith. This is a vital Christian doctrine because it protects us from a kind of cheap grace, easy believism. I prayed a prayer once and now I can live however I want. I believe in God that must be good and now I can go live like the demons. You know, the demons believe in God and live like the demons. And they're not saved. So we're called to a persevering kind of faith. Now, this can rest whew, very heavily on the tender conscience of the believer. <laughs> now, in the case of the unbeliever, it is meant to rest most heavily that it would drive you to Christ. That you, that you would discern that there is no salvation in you that you need Jesus Christ to save you or you will not be saved. And to you I say, he is enough. He can save every sinner. Look to him and you'll be saved. That's it, look to him and he will save you. And this is meant to be a loud text, a, a blaring warning kind of text to the person who prayed a prayer once and they think that Christianity looks like pray a prayer and go to church every now and then and then live however I want the rest of the time, or they think, you know, I, I've, I've done some time with Christ. Now I'm going to sow some wild oats. Now I'm going to head over here. And, and they're considering walking a path down the world, towards the world, and away from Christ. The warning of this passage is that that path is away from Christ. And you cannot love the world and the Savior at the same time. Love not the world. So then how is this passage to rest on the soft-hearted believer? <laughs> how, how, how can people like you and me have hope to persevere? Like, like let's just say, those of us that know ourselves and know our weakness and know our sin, how can we possibly have hope to persevere until the end. That's the question we're going to be seeing the answer to in Revelation 21 this morning. Where does the believer find hope for persevering? Here at the end of our Bibles and the end of all things, God is describing the new heaven and the new earth. Here at the end of our Bibles in Revelation 21, He has already by this point conquered all of His people's enemies. He's gathered His people to Himself and now as John watches, God brings down this holy city from heaven. The dwelling place of God and man comes into view. This, this eternal dwelling. And we're taking several weeks talking about this eternal dwelling together. This morning, we're going to consider how it gives us hope to persevere. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 of chapter 21. I encourage you to have your Bibles and follow along as I read. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. So Revelation 21, verse 9. The Word of God. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me 
the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, would you attend now to the preaching of your word? And to the hearing of your word. Would you act within us by your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember that in Revelation, John teaches through images and through pictures. And so we have before us this picture and this image. Let's start with the walls and try to understand something of what he's doing with the walls. They, they mark the extent and the boundary of the city. Verse 12, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. So here we have this massive wall surrounding this square city with 12 gates in it, three on one side, three on the next. Three gates for each of the four sides. And on each of the gates is one of the names of the sons of Israel. Now, if you're familiar or not with your Old Testament, the, son, the sons of Israel, Israel had 12 sons that went on to father 12 tribes. And so these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Their names are on the gates of the city. Now, by mentioning these gates, I actually 
thought this for a while. Perhaps you have too. By mentioning these names on the gates, he is not, John is not drawing our attention to a kind of, you know, commemoration of these guys. As though, you know, we have the Washington Monument. They have the Gate of Gad. Oh, you remember Gad. What a guy, you know. We want to immortalize Gad on the, the Gad Gate of the city or Asher or Reuben or whomever that is. No, that's not what's going on, though perhaps they deserve mention, but that's not the limit of what's going on. Nor is it that, hey, these guys are in the city. You should expect to see Gad and Asher and Reuben in the city. No, that's not what it is either. Rather, these are the heads of their tribes. They are then representative of the tribe. So, so the names on the gates represent the entire tribe, not just the man who named the tribe, for whom the tribe was named. So these are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, which is to say they're representative of the old covenant people of God. Right? We have the representatives. And in the representatives, we should recognize we have the people. The old covenant people of God are in this city. All right, so we go from these 12 gates down to verse 14, and you can see we have the 12 apostles. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Peter, James, John. Now again, these aren't simply monuments to them, remembrances of them. These too are representatives of God's people. These are the first disciples. We're disciples. They represent us. These are the representatives of the new covenant people of God. And so in seeing the representatives of the new covenant people, we should again recognize it's not limited to the representatives. It is it is all of the new covenant people of God are within the boundaries of this wall that's being marked off here for us to see. Okay, next thing that we'll want to look at is the foundation stones of that wall. I'm going to read them again so that we get the picture in verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. These twelve stones are, are listed here. And as we talked about last week, these, these refer to the light and the purity and the beauty of the city. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to the history of these stones. Because they have a history. Twelve stones is significant in our Bibles. So the Old Testament priest. You know, in the Old Testament they had a priest. Priest that, that operated in the temple in the Old Testament times. And he, he, would, he would come out of the temple and represent God to the people. And then he would go into the temple and represent the people to God. And this priest would stand before a holy God representing a sinful people. 
And as part of his ceremony, what he would do when he would go in is he would get dressed as a priest. And there's all kinds of rules about this in your Old Testament. But one of the things he would put on was a kind of a gold plate that he would wear right here. It's a picture of a hammered plate of gold. It's kind of square or rectangular. Uh, I imagine that would be somewhat uncomfortable, you know, to wear. Just a plate of metal there hung by a, a gold chain around his neck. And, and into that gold plate were affixed 12 stones. 12 stones in four rows of three. And each of those stones had a name inscribed on it, and it was one of the names of the 12 tribes. So as the priest walked in before God, he literally carried on his heart the people of God as he walked in before God. And so you could picture this Old Testament priest, this Old Covenant priest, walking in to the holy place. God, remember your people. God, remember your mercy. God, they are a sinful people and they deserve judgment, but would you remember your grace? When you consider them, look upon them with favor. See, these weren't just the prayers of the priest. They were the clothing of the priest. His very clothing, God, as he saw the priest, saw the sons of Israel carried on the priest's heart. So, now we find ourselves in the book of Revelation and we find 12 stones in four rows of three. And we are to recall that priest standing before God and to recall his prayers. And as we see this city, we're, we're to see that the prayers of that priest were answered. That God heard those prayers, prayed in hope, and now those prayers form the foundation of the city. The foundation of the wall were those prayers prayed by the high priest. God did remember his people. He did remember them in mercy. He did consider them with favor. Now, friend, as we think about that old covenant priest standing before God, what a thing to do. Whew. To go into the holy place and stand before God. We are to think of a greater priest than they. We are to think of our great high priest. The one that they pointed to. His name is Jesus. And he entered not into a man-made temple. But into that place which the man-made temple pointed to. The temple. The holy place in heaven itself. And he entered into the presence of God. In whose presence he stands now. And he entered into the presence of God to stand and intercede. And he enters carrying his people on his heart. And he prays that prayer, God, remember them. Remember them according to your mercy. God, they deserve judgment. Don't treat them according to what they deserve. Recall your mercy and your favor. Treat them with your favor. But Jesus, he doesn't stop 
where the Old Testament priest had to stop. Jesus can keep right on praying because he has more to say. Because as he lifts up his hands to God, he's going to say, look at my hands. See where I suffered on their behalf. For them I suffered. For them I died. Oh, Father, treat them according to mercy. Remember my sacrifice on behalf of my people and treat them according to mercy. The prayers of the great high priest form the foundation of the city. Those prayers, those prayers that he prayed for you Saturday, yesterday, those prayers which he is praying now as you hear God's word, those prayers which he will pray for you so long as your life endures and for his church so long as time endures. Those prayers form the foundation of the wall of that eternal city. How beautiful is the wall of that city. Okay. One last detail that I'm going to pull out and then we'll begin to kind of make application. And I am so thankful we get many weeks on this passage because there's just a lot here. But I want to look to verse 27 together. We've seen the walls of the city sort of bounding the city, and now we can see the population of the city. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The population of the city is those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is a book of, of names that is the population of the city. This book was written before the foundation of the world. When God looked down through time and chose to save a people. And in that choice, he wrote down their names. This is incredible grace. Ephesians 1.3 is a good verse that goes along with this. It says that the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So when was that book written? It was written before the foundation of the world, before history began. Upon what basis was that book written? Was it because we were holy and blameless? No, no. It was to make us holy and blameless. That's why it was written. Glory to God. Was it then taking into account something good about us, our humility, our, our gentleness, our kindness? You know, we're just decent people. No. No. It was not. It was not on account of anything in us. In fact, it was despite everything in us that God wrote that book. God chose a people to be saved. If God had not chosen a people to be saved, none would be saved. We all alike were running from God. But he in mercy wrote down names. And then in time he sent his son 
to die on behalf of his people. And then again in time, he sent his spirit. At some point to you, and another time to you, and another time to you, and another time to you. And one by one, as the preaching of the gospel goes forward, ah, oftentimes weak words, poorly said by broken vessels. Preaching of the gospel goes forward, but person by person, the power of God falls upon them. And God brings to life people who were dead in their trespasses and their sins. And as he brings them to life, another one whose name is in the Lamb's book of life turns to Christ person by person by person. Praise God for the Lamb's book of life. Here's how this book works, friends. Those chosen at the beginning of time are those who are there at the end of time. Who's the population of the city? It is those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this is wonderfully encouraging. So, I'm going to step back from the text just a little bit and summarize what we've said. We've looked at a couple different images in the city. We've, we've seen the, the boundaries of the city marked off by these walls with the, with the names of the 12 tribes on, on the gates and the names of the 12 apostles as the foundation. And we've seen then that the boundary of the city is all of the old covenant and new covenant people of God. This is who's there. Who's in the city according to that image? It is every Old Testament person that called out to God and had faith in the God of Israel. And it is every New Testament person that called out to God and had faith in the God of Israel through Jesus Christ. That's the city. And then we looked at the walls, the, the foundation of the city were those 12 stones. And we, and we recall that these are the, the stones that the high priest wears before God as he prays for a people. And we see that the city is not... <laughs> It's not built by people. It's built by a mediator who prayed for people and a mediator who died for people. And it is his prayers that build the city. And then we see the population of the city most clearly in verse 27 as those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the architecture of this city declares God made it. God is the architect. He's the designer. He's the draftsman. He's the builder of this city. Every Old Testament saint makes it. Every New Testament saint makes it. Everyone that Christ intercedes for makes it. Everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life makes it. This is the city that God is building by His strength and His power. God's the builder of the final city, friend, not you. God's the builder, not me. God is the builder, not us. So here at the end of the story, at the end of the book, on the final page of Revelation, God builds a city, and He does it right. And there's not a stone missing from the walls, and there's not a person missing from the populace. Not one, not one saint, saint fails to be there. 
And so, I come back around to how we started this morning. And I say to Christians, persevere. Persevere. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. True Christians must persevere in the faith. Run hard after Jesus. Do not assume upon yesterday. Do not assume that you can go off and start loving sin. You must stand firm in Christ. You must hold fast to Christ. This is a must. This is not optional. Our perseverance is what shows that we are truly Christians. I'm saying that carefully. Our perseverance is what shows that we are truly Christians. Our perseverance does not make us Christians. Jesus' work makes us Christians. What our perseverance does is it shows that we truly are Christians. That we have truly come to Him. Christ has now reconciled us if indeed we hold fast. We are Christ's house if indeed we stand firm to the end. So hold fast, dear saints, because you are called to persevere. But trembling saints and worried saints and imperfect saints and weak saints don't misunderstand the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It is called. It is there to call us to persevere. It calls us to run, but friends, it's also to give comfort to the runner. That's what this is here for. It doesn't say... If you're in Christ, then get after it and I hope you make it. It says, if you're in Christ, then get after it and you will most certainly make it. That, that's what this says. True Christians must persevere in the faith and true Christians do persevere in the saints. It is a given. It will happen. All who are in Christ will endure to the end. All who are saved by grace will be kept by grace. All who are chosen by God will be maintained and secured and protected and preserved by God Himself. Because God builds the city, not us. And He knows what He's doing in His building. So, the, the, prayer, the, the walls of the city what holds up the walls of the city? It is not your prayers to Christ. It is Christ's prayers for you that hold up the wall to the city. This is God's city. So here's, here's the perseverance of the saints. You, you can think of it like looking up and looking down. Okay? So looking up, we are called to persevere. Saints, we must persevere looking down upon the saints. God, another P word, persevere, preserves. God preserves His people. These go together, friend. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not different. We persevere. God preserves. Yeah? So, so, so who perseveres? All those whom God preserves. Who does God preserve? All those who persevere. These go, these go together. 
So, so we can't, on the one hand, say, well, God keeps his people, so it doesn't matter what I do. That's not how this works. It does matter. It matters intensely. How does God keep his people? Their perseverance. That's how he does it. Who is he helping to preserve? All who persevere. So church, persevere. Run hard. Look to Jesus. Stand fast in the gospel once delivered to the saints. You run and God will keep you. You persevere and God will preserve. You endure and God will secure you. You fight and you battle. But it's God's victory and frankly it's God's city. He builds it. And this is what gives hope to regular believers. Ordinary people. Remember our t-shirt. Ordinary people. Extraordinary God. There's our hope. The hope's on the back <laughs> of that. Extraordinary God. Listen, our hope is not and cannot be that we will keep ourselves. That is not this doctrine. Our hope is that as we run after Christ, He will keep us until the end. So here is hope to persevere. As you run, God holds you. God keeps you. So the, the fearful saint, aware of weakness, aware of sin, aware of failing, wakes up in the morning, looks to Christ, says, if you don't keep me, I'm toast. Keep me, O Lord, and help me run after you every day. And by that means, by that dependence upon him, he keeps you. So depend on him today, and then depend on him tomorrow, and stand on his grace today, and then stand on his grace tomorrow. And at the end of the day, you know what that, you know what that life is going to look like? It's going to look like utter dependence on Jesus. And at the end of the day, you know what you're going to say when you get there? It's not, I made it. It's, he got me here. Glory to God. He kept me. Thank you, Lord. And I want that for you. If you don't know him, turn to him. And if you're walking into sin, turn back. Don't assume upon grace that a life defined by evil is the life of a Christian. Turn to him. And for the majority here, as we walk through this new year, by God's grace together, let us look to him. I want us all to show up there on that day. I want you to be there on that day. So I have to tell you to run. Wouldn't be faithful if I didn't tell you to run. You've got to run. Believer, you've got to run. There's battles to fight. There's sin to kill. People to tell about Jesus. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a war. There's a fight. This is what it is to be a believer. And yet, as you run, friend, look not to your weaknesses or your sin. Look to your Savior. He will get you there. He will get you there. He will get you there. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray this morning. This morning was... A, somewhat harder topic. Lord, even, praise God, even if we don't understand how all this works, it still works. <laughs> even if we don't understand 
how you keep your people, you still keep your people. So Lord, help us to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You alone, great mediator, are the author and the perfecter of our faith. You alone can strengthen us. And so on that day, you alone will receive the glory as your saints come through those wonderful walls into that city. We look forward to that day, and may you receive praise from us now as we anticipate that day together. 